You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. When it comes to a starting lineup, everybody loves the starter from Jack Black, loaded with the superior skincare that the pros love. LA Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-size intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25 in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination of the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. Uh, You guys, we have a lot of episodes coming out in the next few days. Too many, really, so keep your eyes and your ears peeled. Fox and Faust already did their season wrap-up with a playoff preview and conversations about the postseason awards. Lorraine Check will have Sean Dursey and Aiden Dudas talking about their time playing together. And here on All the Kings Men, we've got our season wrap-up on this episode, a Wild Nights preview, uh, as well as conversations between Jack Jablonski and John Butchergrass, as well as Brian Lawton. Plus, we will be covering the rain playoffs, the draft lottery, the Seattle expansion process, the entry draft, free agency, etc., etc., etc. Stick around, Kings fans. A lot of stuff going to happen this summer, and uh, we'll be talking to you about all of it. All right, we're just doing our initial impressions of the just-completed 2021 season. Joining me to do so is Jack Jablonski. How are you doing today, Jack? I'm good, Jesse. It's uh let's get this podcast done and we'll move on to next season and well, we'll have a better year well we're i mean there's still a lot of ground to cover between now and next oh year. absolutely yeah but i just wanted to get like i said i just wanted to get initial first you know first shot reaction so they finished the last game last night um against colorado back-to-back blowouts against the avalanche so Ignoring just the most recent games, I'm curious on the whole what your thoughts were about the entire season. Well, I think when you look at the entire season, you know, it's a little bit of what we expected. And I think uh, it would have been nicer for the team, at least going into the year. I think we thought we would have been a little closer to the playoffs towards the end of the year. But at the end of the day, you know, they had themselves in a position with, you know, two, three, four weeks left where it was a you know, a, a possibility to, to make a run at, at that fourth seed. And unfortunately they didn't, but I think we saw a mixed bag of what we expected in terms of, uh, you know, the great start from Kopitar and, you know, when the power play was clicking goals weren't a problem. And then obviously that went away and we saw a little bit of what we've seen over the last few years. And that was the inability to score. So I think we learned a lot about, you know, who we are, who we have, um, you know, McClellan and management just talked a lot about how this was a 56 game tryout or at least evaluation period for, a, you know, a large number of the people on the roster. And I think that a lot of those questions were answered. And if they weren't answered, we have a much better idea of them. And, uh, you know, moving forward, I think we, as we'll get to that, uh, we'll uh, talk about a little bit of what the Kings will need. But if you look back at the last 56 games, uh, frustrating, uh, but at the same time, uh, I think there was still quite a bit of progress. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, I tweeted this out last night. I'm going to just read the tweet verbatim, and then I guess we're going to break down the, th- the three. 
portions of the tweet um, in greater detail. So I'll read the whole thing. This season was unique in terms of unforeseen shifts in expectations. It's my belief that as disappointing as some specific moments were, and they were, this season was on the whole what needed to happen more positive than negative. So I'm just going to start with that first sentence. This season was unique in terms of unforeseen shifts in expectations. And I think you just touched on it perfectly. You know, heading into the year, had this been a normal season, I don't think there would have been as much conversation, if any conversation, about pushing for a playoff spot. Um, yes. Right. And we've all, it's all been stated a number of times because of the format, because of the schedule, because of the shortness of the season. There was that fourth seed that, that once St. Louis stumbled and Minnesota leapt out, it was, it was an, it was an opportunity that had not previously been there. And so expectations were raised. And what do we always say? Happiness is measured by expectations. And so, you know, that's the shifts that I'm talking about, right? There were moments you know, late in the season where you're like, Ooh, if they could just beat San Jose four out of five times, if they could just beat Anaheim five times in a row, you know, and then you look at the final standings and you realize even if they had picked up four or five more wins, it may not have been enough to catch St. Louis. And so the reality is this team is not a playoff team yet. I mean, you look at the roster, there's no surprises there. But because of the structure and schedule and shape of the season, so I'm going to move my mic closer to my face, um, right? Those expectations shifted. And and to me, that's um, I choose to take that as a positive because it made a season more fun that, like I said, had it not been the season that it was, it wouldn't have been as much fun, right? The games wouldn't have mattered as much. Yeah. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, the Kings end up missing the playoffs by four, 14 points, I believe. So obviously seven games. Uh, and, you know, I think we can all agree. And, you know, you never know how the season plays out if maybe a few games go their way instead of not going their way and they end up winning. You know, I think, what was it, maybe a month ago, we had a few games against San Jose that would have put us right in the thick of things if they had come out on top. They didn't. And, and obviously, you know, the cookie crumbles and you saw how the, the rest of the season played out. And obviously that was filled with a lot of L's and not a lot of W's. So, uh, you know, to go back to your tweet, you know, I agree completely that there were a lot more positives than negatives. And well, uh, we're going pos- to get to that. Oh, OK. We'll back it up to <laughs> yeah, the first yeah. part of the tweet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it was a weird season. It made it entertaining knowing that, you know, there were only seven teams or eight teams and yeah. Uh, one of them had four of them were going to make it. So knowing that the Kings had an opportunity and you looked at the, you know, the competition and St. Louis stumbled and all of a sudden the spot kind of presented itself for the Kings uh, for them to be in the thick of things for, you know, I'd say, you know, two thirds of the year. uh, It was something that, you know, gave us as content people something to talk about, but also, uh, it showed the players and uh, a lot of this young, young, inexperienced roster what it takes, you know, how teams go about themselves in terms of, you know, stepping up when it matters. And, you know, they didn't, but they learned a lot of lessons. And I think a lot of these young players who were hoping to see more from next year and or uh, the youth within the prospects are getting those, you know, little lessons um, not only from guys like Kopitar and Dowdy on what it takes to be successful, but also what it takes to be a successful team and, uh, in being some of the teams that did handle them this year. 
Yeah. So that brings us to the second part, which is uh, it is my belief that as disappointing some specific moments were, and they were, we've already talked about that. This season was on the whole what needed, quote unquote, needed to happen. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. And it's basically a lot of what you just said, which is um, Jim Fox has begun using uh, a very similar metaphor and analogy to what I have, which is, you know, the tear down. He keeps saying the tear down is done. Right. And so, Muzzin, Martinez, Clifford, Lewis, Forbert, Toffoli, Pearson, Carter. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting some names. Like all those guys are gone now. Um, mm -hmm. And so what you have left this season was, you know, you started with the core five. Now you've got the core four. Um, but you have Trevor Moore, it's got Matt Roy. Got a nice rig. Does yeah, core four sounds way that. better than core five. <laughs> <laughs> but but this season. Um, you know, you had, uh, like I said, Matt Roy, Sean Walker, Oli Mata, Tobias Bjornfoot, Mikey Anderson, Alex Iafalo, Leish Anderson, Gabriel Velarde, Andreas Athanasiu, Blake Lazat, Carl Grundstrom, Trevor, uh, I said Trevor Moore already, um, uh, Jared Anderson, Dolan, Austin Wagner, Matt Luff, right? Like all of those names that aren't Iafalo, Kopitar, Brown, Dowdy, and Quick. Everybody else on that roster heading into this season was a question mark. Yep. And the purpose of this season, from my perspective, was to, you know, I won't use the, the kitchen remodel. I'll use a lottery ticket, right? We had to scratch every one of those scratchers to see what was underneath it, you know? And so now heading into the Seattle expansion draft, heading into the offseason, heading into free agency, heading into the draft. After this year, I think we know now, like, okay, Trevor Moore, if I'm the general manager, Trevor Moore is the first guy that I put on the protected list after the players that we already know about, right? Like Kempe, I follow Kopitar, Dowdy, right? Those guys are getting protected. First name for me personally, Trevor Moore. Okay, we, we got it. Boom. We know what Trevor Moore is. Jared Anderson Dolan, I feel like we know what Jared Anderson Dolan is. Still, you know, still a bit of an unclarity as to what the ceiling are for Leish Anderson, Gabriel Blardy, guys like that. But you needed to find out. You needed to, to at least have an opportunity to find out. Um, meanwhile, and I will continue ringing this bell, Ontario shouldn't be viewed from my perspective as a separate thing from the Kings. Like, I get it. Sports fans don't ha necessarily have the time or the emotional bandwidth to worry about two teams and two leagues and you know <laughs> and knowing everything that happens in a franchise becomes almost a full-time job and so i get it but what happened in ontario was just as important as what was happening in la if not more important and absolutely so byfield and kaliev playing an entire season i mean shortened season i grant you but playing with the rain not having to worry about the ohl getting them the experience getting them both um, experience at the NHL level, getting guys like Kupari in for a full season, Turcotte, um, Thomas, all those guys right down in Ontario. Um, Cali of Thomas, Turcotte, Dersey, Fagamo, uh, Asimont, Mouvrare came over from, from Europe. Like that's just a whole second sheet of scratchers that the Kings got to sort of start scratching off and finding out what they have. And so to Jim Fox's point, yeah, the teardown part is done. But you can't start building, you know, the next stage until you know what you have. And for me, this season was all about finding out what we have. 
And again, not every question got answered, but gosh, a lot of them did. Uh, I, I agree completely. And, you know, to, to further on your, you know, importance of uh, the rain this year, you know, it's exactly on point when it comes to knowing, you know, who those players can become, you know, who we think is going to be able to make that next step. And not only that next step, but when, because, mm-hmm. you know, you look at the handful of players and we'll say there's probably a, as many prospects as we have there, there were, you know, let's just say there were probably about a half a dozen or so, give or take one or two that the Kings are really hoping that can, you know, step into the, to the limelight, whether it be next year, day one, next year, midway through the year, whatever it may be, because if they don't understand, you know, when those players are going to be ready or when they hope them to be ready, they can't prepare and make the appropriate moves to, to be successful in the off season. So for the Kings to have been able to, you know, figure out those questions of, okay, Trevor Moore is a keeper and uh, do we need, or do we not need X, Y, and Z that's played in the bottom six this past year. Uh, It's extremely important because now you're slowly filling in those pieces. You know, I think you and I can both expect CA what I would describe as a pretty active off season from the Kings, whether that be free agency or trades and uh, the Seattle expansion teams are going to be looking to move money and or players that they can't protect for something. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how active the Kings are, but I think we all expect them to be active if we want to, you know, start making that next step towards being a legit playoff contender and a team that can provide that, you know, path towards to being a Stanley Cup contender. So it's it's complex, but at the same time, I think, you know, as much as you've touched on it, you know, just to rehash it is, you know, this was a whole season that was just about answering questions. The playoffs would have been a dream come true and it would have been a great experience. But at the same time, I think the most important thing was to be able to figure out what that roster is going to look like next year when we hit an 82 game season and expect a lot of the younger players who now are gaining experience to be able to come in and make an impact moving forward. Yeah. And uh, we're going to put off the more positive than negative till later. Cause I want to talk about this notion of an active off season. Cause I it's, it is all anybody's talking about it. And I totally understand it from a, from not only a fan perspective, but also from a media perspective and, you know, and those of us that work for the team, Carl and Jim, Terrell, you know, Nick, Alex, you and I, et cetera, Zach. Um, but Nick had me on the the radio last night and he was asking me during the first intermission, do I think that there's going to be a ton of moves this off season? And the reality is, <clears throat> I don't think there's going to be a ton. I think there obviously will be some. Um, yeah. and, I, and I think that they will have to be important. But looking at the free agency list, I don't see a ton of earth movers and, and further to that point, I don't see a ton of earth movers that are at a point in their career where they would say, yes, the right thing for me is to come join a team that has missed the playoffs for three years in a row and, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and unfortunately you see quotes, I don't know if you read the Tyler Toffoli piece in uh, the players tribune. But he echoed a sentiment that a number of players have echoed when they leave L.A., which is L.A. is great if you're a professional athlete 
in the National Hockey League because you get a ton of money there. You know, you can get good seats at like the Dodgers game and occasionally you'll meet the odd celebrity, but nobody nobody's going to bother you for an autograph when you go grocery shopping. The local newspapers aren't writing a ton of stories about who you're dating or, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, and that's great. And I, you know, Lord knows I wish I made that kind of money so I could live that that version of living in LA. But then he, <laughs> but then he goes to Vancouver and we saw this with Wayne Simmons and we've seen it with a number of other players who leave LA, you know, who started their career here and they go play in another city and they go, oh, oh, this is a hockey market. Um, and so, you know, LA has never been particularly successful at, at luring high profile free agents and neither have the Ducks. And, you know, I think, I think that I think we have to be honest that that plays a role. So I look down the free agency list. There's a bunch of guys in their early, mid, late 30s. There's a couple guys in their late 20s, but like Jaden Schwartz, Gabriel Landeskog, Doug, Dougie Hamilton, you know, are they going to pass up an opportunity to join a contender to come play for a team in a rebuild? Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not holding my breath for it, not saying it couldn't happen. So that leaves trades and the flat cap is going to help tremendously in that, in that place. There are going to be a number of teams pressed up against it. And so this off season tests Rob Blake's creativity in my mind, because he'll have to make these trades. I think that's the best chance at, at fixing the lineup. But then we have to talk about the lineup because I see a ton of people sort of talking out of both sides of their mouth on this matter where they say, okay, we need to make a ton of moves, but we also need to see a ton of kids be called up. And, and It's, it's not like, going to work that way. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, you know, let's say, because I saw, for example, you know, and, and listen, I like going back and forth with Dennis on Twitter, but I just want to let everybody understand. Dennis and I like each other. We're friends. I think we traumatized Carlin the other night. We were screaming at each other on, the, <laughs> on 11th Street in front of Staples Center. But, you know, for example, Dennis is right, something about, you know, time to make moves. And then he lists who he thinks are going to be the top nine forwards. And they're all guys that are currently on the roster. And it's like, well, okay. It doesn't but, add up. Yeah, like, <laughs> how are you going to bring guys in and call guys up from Ontario unless you move current players? Um, yeah. And so, you know, Kovatar not going anywhere. I follow is probably not going anywhere. Dustin Brown presumably will be back for another season. He's got one more year left on his contract. I think we can expect Byfield to be there. Jim Fox talks about how they have future plans for Leish Anderson. Gabriel Velarde gets touted frequently on the uh, telecast. Adrian Kempe, right, career year. I'm already at seven guys, I think. Um, yeah. And you're only and icing 12. And Jared yeah. Anderson, Dolan, Trevor Moore, like – Okay, yeah, it, so it, yeah, yeah, and well, and at the same time, it's like, well, guess what that roster did this year, right? <laughs> so yeah, no, it's it's something where I think you actually define that greatly. I think it's going to be an active off season in terms of hopefully a big move here or there, whether it's yeah. adding one forward and one defenseman, but you're not going to see you know seven guys right off the roster from this past year that you know, we, we saw, you know, 50 games out of, you know, you're not going to, we have the prospects, but guess what? If you make a big move, some of those prospects aren't going to be in the Kings organization. So that's something to be expected. We know that everyone else knows that and at the end of the day, when you have the number one prospect pool in the NHL, like we do, uh, guess what? <laughs> they all aren't going to be in a Kings uniform because they're all, in, you know, the same age, 
give or take two or three years. And, you know, we don't have enough spots for them. So it's, it's a matter of spreading it out evenly. And at the same time, uh, <laughs> well, guess what? You know, you're not going to be able to keep everyone if you want to get better and you want to start putting in contender for the playoffs and or the Stanley Cup. Because uh, at the end of the day, you know, you've got to have a roster that is evenly um, spaced out in terms of age group. You've got to have your veterans. You've got to have those, you know, those guys in the middle that you talked about with the the Jaden Schwartzes and the Dougie Hamiltons who are not, in, you know, right in the middle of their careers. And then you have to have your guys that are making, you know, 945K as rookie contracts. So, uh, it, you know, that's why Rob Blake and, and Luke Robitaille and, you know, everyone in, in management make the big bucks because they're the ones who, are able to put the rosters together, do all that work and, and, you know, make sure that everyone's going to be uh, evenly spread out. So it'll be interesting to see how the season or the off season unfolds, because we expect something to happen. We expect, uh, you know, a left shot defenseman that can produce offense to, to eventually find his way onto a Kings uniform. And obviously we know that we need help scoring goals. So, can you find someone that can help mentor these kids? Can you find a guy that can make a big impact offensively uh, and someone that can kind of sure up that, that secondary wave of offense that takes a little bit of pressure off of Anze Kobitar for, um, I don't know, the last five years. I think it's important to spread out the team in other aspects as well, right? Like age is obviously um, important and we've, we've seen, we've seen the dangers right of loading up on uh, one generation of players and then they all have success and get good. And then you have to pay them all blah, blah, blah. But the older I get, the more I watch this team and the more experiences I get, right? Like watching the team go from basement to contender status to Stanley cup champion in six seasons was an incredible opportunity to learn how the sport works and then watching them sink back down to basement status was another lesson. And then you see the different collective bargaining agreements and everything. And so one of the things that I hope for, and, and I've begun saying it louder and louder this season. And today drew Doughty, as far as I'm concerned, gave me permission to be completely obnoxious about this forever moving forward. Um, Drew Doughty talked about Mikey Anderson this morning in the exit interviews and mentioned him as one of the more vocal players in the locker room during the intermission and said, like, he's a rookie and he's already one of like the guys who talks the most in the team and, whip, you know, and tries to whip everybody into shape. And I think that's fantastic because, you know, you said you need to spread out the age. I think you also need to spread out. I don't want to use leadership because it's such a vague term. Right. It doesn't doesn't necessarily mean anything, but you um, do. No, I know what you mean. But yeah, you're exactly right. Like, you know, at the end of the day, Kopitar and Dowdy and Brown and, you know, Quick's a quiet guy, but obviously he has uh, a large impact when he does speak up. You know, they're great. And we all know what they're capable of doing, you know, a la two cups. But at the end of the day, we've got to have more people step up that will take accountability, take that leadership on mm -hmm. that say, okay, this isn't okay. Clearly something's not working. If you're not listening to them, I'm not saying, you know, everyone's got a, you know, hail to Mikey Anderson in terms of, you know, he's the savior, but at the same time, it's, it's great to have a guy like him, you know, step up, talk in the locker room and, and not be the same, you know, four voices 
over the last four or five years. So, no, it's interesting you brought that up with what Dowdy said, because he's right. If for someone to take that leadership, to take that next step and to say, okay, you know, this isn't my team, but I care and I want to win. You know, this is something that we have to change. And for Dowdy to, to, you know, recognize Mikey's uh, impact both on and off the ice is something that's huge for the team moving forward. And I mean, if you look at Mikey Anderson's resume at 21, and this is another winner, the whole definition is winner, right? Like winner, 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 back to back uh, NCAA titles, if I'm not mistaken, Um, captain world junior championship. They like, this is another reason I sort of am, you know, tired of the draft is like, okay, he's a fourth round draft pick. I don't know why. Naturally, obviously (laughs) Um, a winner. But you know he's taken in the fourth round for whatever reason, whether it's because he was undersized or who knows, whatever. But who cares, right? Like he, he, you know, again, back-to-back national titles as the captain, captain of Team USA at the World Juniors, comes in as a rookie, skates the most minutes, right? As a rookie, in the, I think he and uh, and Keandre Miller were tied uh, at the last game. I didn't check to see his minutes last night, so technically he might be second, but whatever. Skating with Drew Doughty against the top, you know, lines on the other team, and Drew Doughty, two-time Stanley Cup champion, two-time Olympic gold medal winner, Norris Trophy winner, All Star, World Cup, blah 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 blah. Drew Doughty singles him out as one of the most vocal players, one of the guys that he personally learns from and has said now repeatedly, not just once or twice, but like repeatedly that he hopes to play with him for years to come, likes playing with him, likes having him. Drew Doughty talked about needs, like the the need for the team to improve the roster in the off season, but very clearly stated, I don't necessarily think we need to bring anybody on the blue line. I like the blue line. I like playing with Mikey Henderson. Like, so I go, okay. So, so let's maybe pump the brakes on this unicorn D player that we're supposed to find that's going to unlock Drew Doughty. But also to that point, you hope that guys like Turcott, Thomas, uh, I don't know. I mean, Anderson Dolan, every time I've had a chance to talk to him, he doesn't strike me as a big rah-rah locker room guy, but he's very intense, very competitive, takes the game very seriously. Um, and so... You know, you hope this this pattern of drafting guys that have worn letters, whether it's in college, whether it's in juniors, whether it's on the international teams, you know, Leish Anderson, Akil Thomas, Quentin Byfield, Mikey Anderson, Tobias Bjornfoot. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving off a couple names of guys, but you hope that the that whole, not only the whole prospect list. Yes. <laughs> you hope that that not only in, injects talent into the lineup, but also. Again, I, I wish there was a more clearly defined word than than leadership, but leadership, because we don't have Willie Mitchell, Justin Williams, Mike Richards, Jared Stoll, Matt Green. Like some of those guys are in the organization still, but um, they're not in the locker room. Yeah, exactly. And so so I hope well, that you, that is brought in you, as well. Yeah, and I agree. I think you look at the the personalities of of some of the prospects and some of the younger players, you know. Turcotte's a guy who's a vocal player. He's a leader, uh, someone that can stand up in the locker room. I think Byfield will eventually get there. He's obviously very young and inexperienced, so I think that's going to take time. Um, But those are two players that are obviously going to be what we assume is that next wave of 
uh, you know, the Kopitars and the Dowdies and the Browns who are those guys that step up and, you know, moving forward, you know, they're not going to be here forever. So those are the guys that you expect to replace uh, that rah, rah leadership, that, that type of person who's going to talk to you in the locker room between periods and, you know, say, yo, this is unacceptable. You know, we've got to step it up and stuff like that. And guys that are going to be listened to is the most important thing. So for Mikey to be able to make that impact as a rookie, I think that says a lot about his character and something that uh, is going to go a long way in his career moving forward. Uh, you just hope that there's more to come. And I, I think there are more to come. I think it's just going to be a matter of time before some of those leaders make their way from Ontario to LA or in and or make their way from another team to LA. So we'll see what happens in the off season. I, I expect it to be an interesting one. I'm excited to see uh, where the Kings go in terms of, you know, roster moves and, and who they uh, send off and who they bring in. But at the same time, it'll be interesting just to see, um, you know, how active, you know, management is when it comes to putting together a roster that they believe can make the playoffs next year. Speaking of playoffs, um, there are some playoffs still to be played. And again, I don't blame anybody for not investing as much time into following the rain as they do the Kings. Um, it's a privilege that, uh, that we have to be able to, uh, to get paid to pay attention to both. But the rain have two more games left in the regular season. By the time you hear this, it may be one. Heck, it may be none. But they play tonight, Friday the 14th uh, against Tucson. And then Sunday the 16th against Tucson. And then there's... A playoffs only for the uh, AHL Pacific Division. The first three teams in the division get a bye, and the bottom four teams play single elimination, and the winner of that single elimination tournament becomes the fourth seed for a four-team playoff um, best-of-three series. You know, the Reign, I believe, are the seventh seed currently, but that's because of a weak start. They have turned it around and have played really well lately. Um, I believe Quentin Byfield will be headed back to Ontario to participate in that. I'm not sure about Rasmus Kupari. Um, I don't know about Rasmus. I know QB is already back in Ontario. Yeah. So it'll be curious to see if Kupari is allowed to go play. But uh, even if he isn't, um, the current I roster. He would be, I, I, I would too, but it's. I don't know why they wouldn't like allow him. I think he, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I just don't want to say you know he is and then find out that he's not. But looking at the roster currently, Volalta, Ingham, Phillips, Alt, Dursey, Gons, Muvrari, Clegg, Halts, Brickley, Strand, Asimont, Turcott, Fagamo, Martin Furk, who's looked really good in Ontario, Adam Johnson, who was picked up. He's on an uh, AHL contract only. Kaliev, Dudas, Thomas Halloran, Martin Chromiak has joined the team. Fifth round pick for the Kings. Brett it's Sutter. crazy because you keep naming these kids yep. off and it's like all of them need ice time and yep. there's just not enough for them. Yep. Like we needed, we need to like start, let's get another AHL team because these kids need ice time. Well, well the nice, another. the nice thing, quote unquote, nice thing, I suppose, is that because the taxi squad was necessary this year, the team went out and signed Barube, Gaunts, Adam Johnson, Nick Halloran, uh, Jacob Doty, Devontae Smith, Pelly, Blaine Byron, all those guys are on AHL only contracts. Um, and so unclear how many of them will be coming back, but guys like Grossnick and Alt are free agents at the end of the year. Um, you know, guys like uh, Rimshaw, Willannon, you know, will be uh, restricted free agents at the end of the year. So 
plenty of choices still to be made, but I didn't even get to, like you mentioned, I didn't even get to the Quentin Byfield and it looks like Tyler Madden might be available for that. Ooh, playoff. Yay. Yeah. So, man, so that, I, he's, he's got such a bright future too. And it, it's unfortunate that he's missed all year with a new upper body injury, but uh, another player that we haven't talked about all year that uh, we expect to be in a Kings uniform, you, mm-hmm. you know, sooner rather than later. So, Man, it's going to be exciting. But yeah, you talk about the playoffs, uh, a great experience. Hopefully it lasts a little bit longer than one or two games. But um, just for the, the kids to be able to, to kind of understand what it's like to play playoff hockey. And um, hopefully it's not short lived, as I mentioned, but um, it's just a little bit of a sneak peek into that next level of some of the extra effort and uh, what playoff hockey is like in professional leagues, you know, the extra effort in terms of shutting it down defensively, blocking those extra shots, the way you back check differently, how you game plan for teams, um, hoping that they can make it to those best of three series would be nice. Um, but all in all, you know, another opportunity for these kids to, to have a look at um, what it's like to play important hockey and the management that gets an opportunity to see them and gets a little bit more of an idea what next year is going to look like. So before we get to that final part of the tweet about this season being more positive than negative, I want to really quickly talk about the front office because I see a lot of conversations about, well, the team has a lower winning percentage than they did last year and they fell apart down the stretch and why this lineup decision, why that lineup decision, you know, some people in the media were questioning the goalie rotation all year. Some people were questioning why the use of different players on the blue line, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just want to sort of revisit. And I, I realize that this will make me sound like a Homer and make me sound like I'm, uh, which you are, but I am, <laughs> but, but I'm the kind <laughs> of Homer who is not shy about voicing my opinion when I think something's going wrong. Very true. Um, and so while I, I was right there with some people when it came to specific roster moves, on the whole, um, this was a team heading into this season with five guys that had won the Stanley Cup twice for this team. And Seven years ago. I grant you that. That's fine. But, but this is also a business. And so, you know, without throwing any specific... Uh, members of the organization or the fan base under the bus. I'll just use my dad. <laughs> Sorry, <clears throat> my dad. Um, my dad believes passionately that they should have traded Jonathan Quick in the offseason of 2014. And his thought process was, well, they had Martin Jones and the return for Jonathan Quick would have been huge and it would have helped the salary cap and you could have gotten a ton of prospects and players and you didn't, you know, you could have replaced him with Martin Jones, blah, 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 blah. And he passionately believes this while also understanding why it was never going to happen. Right. Because unless you're Bill Belichick and you're the New England Patriots, New England, New England Patriots, um, same team, right? You, you don't trade, you don't lose your best players at the peak of their abilities on the tail of a championship just to improve your future. Right. That, that isn't how it's done. And so, you know, I actually like what the organization has done with the veterans, right? Making the decision that they are going to let them decide 
when it's time to move on. So Jeff Carter, the rumors that we've heard now are that they could have moved him three or four different times over the last couple yep. of years. He didn't want to. Now he was finally fine with it. So they trade him to Pittsburgh. We may get a second round pick out of it. If Pittsburgh goes to the Stanley cup final and for God's sake, people, whatever your problems are with Sidney Crosby, let's root for a second round pick. Um, <laughs> I, I personally don't have any problems with Sidney Crosby. I love Sidney Crosby, but whatever. Um, but so making that decision to turn the franchise into one that honors its players and doesn't treat them exclusively as assets to be traded and moved at the earliest convenience. I don't know if it'll pay dividends in the future, but I, I look at the shifting landscape of professional sports and I see that players are getting shorter contracts and more influence over where they go. You look what happened with Columbus and Winnipeg this year. You look at what happened with um, Taylor Hall this year. And I think teams that treat players in the traditional way of, well, you know, what are they worth to us now? How can we manipulate them? How can we move them around, et cetera? I don't know that that's going to be as effective as it was in the past. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke Robitaille and Rob Blake each had moments in the past with this franchise where they had to go elsewhere over, you know, tiny quibbles over relatively small amounts of money, right? Like Luke Robitaille kept coming back to the Kings, despite the fact that he was traded once. And I think he left as a free agent when he went to Detroit. Um, despite having an incredible season. And the reason, as I understand it, it's a long time now and we don't have all the details, so I could be speaking out of school. But my understanding is that the franchise just didn't want to give him quite as much money as he thought he was worth. And it's absurd, right? Like a guy like Lou Robitaille will always be worth whatever. Um, whatever he asks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I so I like the fact that the organization said to Quick and Carter and Brown and all these guys, like, yeah, if you don't want to go, we're not going to trade you. Now, the downside of that is that perhaps roster spots were blocked by, you know, like maybe having Jeff Carter on the team for an extra year and a half delayed the progress of other players. Now, we don't know that. We'll never know that. Who knows? It's pure One speculation. But, yeah. but at the end of the day, you know, as I said, contracts are getting shorter and players are getting more agency. And so, you know, Jeff Carter signed whatever it was, a 12-year deal. Jonathan Quick signed, I think, a 10-year contract. Like, those sorts of contracts won't be an issue in the future. Dowdy's um, was, what, eight? Kopitar's is eight or something which is like Which is the current max, but you have to be but, – but only for free agents that are on your roster. Guys you bring in from outside of the organization are seven-year max. So I'm not worried about the organization signing players to contracts in the future that take them into the twilight years of their career. You're not going to get those kinds of contracts anymore. But what you will get is free agents that care how organizations treat players and how they operate as top to bottom or you know or companies, right? Business. Yeah, I'm, well the the Kings are an extremely well-run organization. They have a lot of respect across the National Hockey League uh and for reasons that you just talked about. The credibility, the um you know, the respect that they have for certain players, they're not ruthless where they just, you know, just get rid of players and, and bring in, you know, new this and new that uh, just because they feel like it, you know, they have, you know, what you would call is a respectable, uh, you know, organization. And for everything that they've done with, you know, this core four and the core five, 
you know, prior to Carter being departed uh, is something that I think is, is, you know, it's extremely important to show that in my opinion, because uh, you know, it, it, you know, sends a message around the league that, you know, these guys care and that they've uh, essentially, you know, been given the opportunity to, to write their own scripts to finish their career because they deserve it. And the Kings feel that as well. So uh, it's great to see. You hope that um, it hasn't affected the Kings in a negative manner too much in terms of their younger players not getting some opportunities because those guys were on the roster. But at the end of the day, I think you also have to just understand that, you know, at some point, you know, while this is a business, this is also, you know, we're working with humans here. And for guys to have accomplished everything that they've done uh, with the Kings organization, you know, they deserve the opportunity to, to be able to, to have a say, even though they don't necessarily have, you know, no move clauses and stuff like that. So, um, you know, in Carter's situation, he passed it up. He didn't want to leave. He left for the right opportunity. Uh, his wife is from Pennsylvania, uh, obviously with Hextall there. Uh, there's a history and, and for him to be able to, to go to a comfortable position in an area where he can, go for a Stanley cup with uh, guys like Sidney Crosby on the roster is a, is a great opportunity for him. So he chose to leave, which is something that I think everyone can agree upon was a, a great decision for him and it's worked out so far. So, you know, does that happen in the future with some other guys to be determined? We don't know, but um, what we do know is that we've got an organization that um, we love working for and that uh, everyone else loves playing for. Yeah. And to your question about whether or not it hurt the team to make that decision like i'm not going to dwell in positive or negative i'll just say this the team in 2000 and i don't know seven eight whatever you know from that stretch when they went from contender to cup champion um they made a number of decisions that made sense in that moment, right? Jeff Carter and Mike Richards were cap circumvention deals. You could add two unbelievable players at well under their market value. And yeah. so you do it, right? And Jonathan Quick came out of nowhere to, you know, win, become a con Smythe winner and, you know, break all sorts of um, franchise records. And so, yeah, you lock him up. Um, but as I said, again, like you won't, there won't be cap circumvention deals and you're not allowed to sign guys to contracts that long. So I, I, people, I see people keep saying like, well, this is the formula for how you build a winning team. And I just don't think we know what it is yet because prior to 2005, there was no salary cap. And so the formula was what it was for a little while. Then we had a salary cap, but teams could sign circumvention deals. They closed that loophole that changed the formula. Then they changed the the length of contracts. That changed the formula again. They introduced cap, um, you know, circumvention penalties for guys. Like we don't actually know right now what the new formula is. Um, the game has changed so much too. Yeah, and that's the big thing. Is you know, we knew what the formula was when they won the cup. It was you know, big down the middle, hard to play against. In a seven game series, you're going to get worn out because our guys are bigger, stronger, and more skilled. Uh, now, obviously, speed has worked its way into the game and, and just take a look at what's happening in Edmonton. Does it translate to Stanley Cups? Well, it hasn't so far. So how much of the speed and skill game does it, uh, you know, does it work in the playoffs? 
in some cases it has in some cases it hasn't so we're still trying to figure that out the game is moving around uh in terms of uh what people are prioritizing and i think that there's many different formulas that are working you know you can look across the league you know over the past 10 years Sidney crosby has you know three cups or you know past 13 years or whatever the uh however many years but he's got three cups but that's not necessarily a typical uh you know, roster makeup of what you would want in an ideal situation, you know, uh, and then you look at other teams that have had success. It's just a matter of, you know, I think there's many different formulas and the Kings are working on their own formula. We've seen what works uh, in 2012 and 14. We've obviously had to backtrack, you know, tear down as Jim Fox has mentioned, that's done with, we're on our way up. And I think that there's a extremely bright future within this organization that should have, many Kings excited about what's going to happen in the next two or three years, because you're looking at a team that's got a lot of skill, a lot of character and a lot of places, uh, pieces in the place already, even though it hasn't necessarily shown in their record so far in the last year or two. Yeah. My final thought on the front office, or it's not really on the front office it's on the notion of rebuilding and then, and then we'll close this out. But when Dean Lombardi took over, he took over a team with a ton of youth already in the system, Kopitar Brown quick, um, you know, and then he quickly made trades to acquire guys like Jack Johnson, um, Patrick O'Sullivan, et cetera, uh, Camilleri, Frolov, they were already there. So when Lombardi took over, the talent level, the veteran yeah. level, and the front office level were all at roughly the same point. Right. Yeah, and they not all so much for Rob Blake. <laughs> there, there was nothing in play. I mean, I don't want to say there was nothing in place because, because but relatively speaking, everything was in early stages. To, yeah. He did not have yeah. much to work with when he entered this organization. It was on the downturn. Right. And we didn't realize it at the time. Maybe he did. We don't know. Um, but we didn't recognize, at least we were blind to it, I guess, by what we had, not necessarily understanding the future uh of what was to come it, you know it happened a little earlier than we expected but you're exactly right rob blake uh found himself in a much much different situation uh than lombardi when they both entered yeah and so if, if you choose i'm choosing to look at it as three separate tracks um and like i said when lombardi took over they were all relatively at the same place which is low on the you know graph rising um so he was able to cultivate everything at once right and i think that's part of why it, it went so quickly because there wasn't any there weren't any that's such a terrible phrase to use for i'm gonna do it anyway there weren't any weeds to clear out um and you know jim fox has said repeatedly if you ask all 31 gms in the league if they could would they trade their roster to be in seattle's spot and he says, absolutely, every GM would, because the one thing that Seattle will have moving forward and that Vegas had moving forward when they started was that there are no mistakes. There are no bad contracts. There are no players getting paid more than they're worth. There are no guys signed to too long, et cetera, et cetera. And so when Rob Blake took over, and, and we're going to, Zach Dooley and I have talked about this, we're going to explore this notion more moving forward. But but it sort of fascinates me that if you look at all of the moves that Rob Blake has made since he was hired in 2017, I think it's less than five draft picks have left the organization for players. There were drafts on trade, you know, there were trades on yeah. draft, draft day where you move up one spot or another. In my mind, those don't count. But like as far as trades, it's always player 
player out for trade for draft picks in. Yeah, he's just brought in loads of prospects. And now we find ourselves in a situation where uh, everything that he's done has prepared us for what's to come in this next year. Yeah. Or, and or so, two. So when you have, so the three tracks as I see it, Rob Blake comes in, signs Cal Peterson, starts acquiring draft picks. You see now the dividends paid with Anderson and Bjorfa come in. So you've got your goaltending situation. You've got your blue line. You've got your prospect pool. You've got your draft picks, your cap space, et cetera. Then the second track is, you know, the veterans. And, okay, they've made those decisions, right? And and we've seen, all right, Kopitar and Dowdy are your pillars. And, and you know, Brown and Quick hopefully retire as kings. Everybody else is gone. And then there's the front office, right? Like John Stevens had to be promoted that that day and and it didn't work out he was let go they brought in an interim didn't work now we've got todd mcclellan and we're uh, next season going to be entering year three of mcclellan's five-year deal there have been other front office changes we don't need to go into every one of them but the point is like this franchise had to be uh reformatted to fit rob blake's ideal and it was always going to be harder then when Dean Lombardi took over. And so I see all these fights about when did the rebuild begin and everybody, a lot of people point to the Jake Muzzin trade. A lot of people point to last season and I'm sorry, but for me personally, it was the day Rob Blake got hired and it was always going to take longer. It just was, there was more work to do and there was more patience to be had. And like I said, I think this season, I'm just keep coming back to the same point. I think this season, a lot of things that had to happen happened. And this this offseason is everything, and it's going to be exciting. Yeah, the expectations were the same, and they shouldn't have been, given the the Lombardi to, to Rob Blake comparison. Um, but, yeah, this next season, uh, I wouldn't call it make or break. I'd say the next two seasons are make or break for, you know, all the uh, – you know, the big people within the organization. And I think we obviously see the bright future ahead with what Quentin Byfield is able to do in his six games. And what we've seen in Campari and, you know, obviously the, the Turcots and the Fogamos and Kaliev scoring his, you know, a goal in his only game in the NHL. So, uh, you know, it's, it's all set in place. It's a matter of, you know, what are the moves that they make to set themselves up for success in this next year and the year to follow. And, um, you know, I think it's, I'm, you know, confident when I say that I think we have the right people in place because they've continued to make the uh, the proper moves to put the Kings organization and the Kings roster in, in a situation where uh, they're ready to succeed moving forward. All right, so we'll finish it out with the uh, positive versus negative thought. We're going to keep this short and sweet. I'd love to dwell on some negatives because that's the kind of person I am, but that's not what I get paid to do. So we're going to focus on the positives. Jack, I'll just ask you from your perspective, what's the biggest positive that you take away from this season? Uh, I think that, uh, well, there's a few, but I'm going to go to Anze Kovacar, that he still has it. He has the ability to be that number one center. Um, You know, we know we need some help and he needs some help uh, at, you know, center number two, center number three and, and or wings uh, that he can play with moving forward. But Anze Kovacar's ability to still be that guy, uh, and his uh, notion that he's still got it. We know that he does, and um, he's not slowing down. So I'm going to stick with that one. Yourself? Um, 
I'm going to go with the pairing of Drew Doughty and Mikey Anderson. I was thinking I would just yeah. stick exclusively with Mikey Anderson, but then you said Kopitar, and it made me think, well, Doughty's had a heck of a season. So I'm going to Doughty go was decent this year, right? <laughs> decent, yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm going to go with top that top five defenseman <laughs> in the NHL. I'm going to go with that top pair because, you know, I, I'm starting to become surly and snippy with people on social media and message boards about this because it's who I am. But Every time I mention the nice things that Drew Doughty is saying about Mikey Anderson, people leap up and they go, well, he said the same thing about Olimata. Well, he said the same thing about Tobias Bjornfoot. Well, he said the same thing about Derek Forbury. Well, he said the same. And I go, and I go like, well, no, but he didn't actually. Um, he said, Just I'm excited. because he complimented someone, yeah. Yeah, he said, I'm excited to play with Oli. He said, I'm excited about Toby, Toby Bjornfoot. He does X, Y, Z, and the other thing. But what he's saying about Mikey Anderson, he's now saying after having played an entire season with him, well, a shortened season with him. Yeah, almost. Um, and so it's a completely different beast. And and he's saying it in settings where he doesn't need to say it. It's one thing to say, you know, in a in a scrum, uh, how about that? To- Toby Bjornfoot. And he goes, oh, I love Toby Bjornfoot. He's all these nice things. And he did. He, I grant you, he said a lot of things about Bjornfoot that were very um, positive. But I never heard him say about Forbert or McNabb or Muzzin or <laughs> Forbert. Sorry, I said Forbert already. Uh, or uh, or Bjornfoot or, or Mata that he wanted to play with them for five to six years, which is something that he said about Mikey Anderson. Yeah. And I'm just looking at their numbers right now. Does Mikey Anderson need to improve elements of his game? Sure. He's a rookie. Yep, absolutely. Um, yep. And he knows it and the organization knows it. But... You look at their defensive numbers, just the defensive numbers, not the offensive numbers, and they are they're they're really good given that one of them is a 21-year-old rookie. And yeah. you know, I'm just looking it's right interesting. now. It's interesting. The sorry, more that we sorry, the more we and sorry to interrupt. The more no, we talk fine. about Mikey Anderson, the more I see a little bit of Alec Martinez. Okay. Just comes to me. Uh, a guy who uh, needs to work on his offensive game and we've seen what Alec can do on the offensive side, but someone who has the leadership qualities that can, you know, take this organization to a next level when it comes to being able to uh, provide that depth. And I think it's interesting. It's, I'm not sure if you see the same comparison, but um, a little bit of, of Alec Martinez in uh, Mikey Anderson, in my opinion. I mean, I hope you're right. Um, but, yeah, that would be nice, right? Yeah, Alec Martinez, obviously. Uh, yeah, if you're telling me there's a Stanley Cup overtime winner yeah. in Mikey Anderson's future, I think I would take that. But I mean, just some raw numbers off the top of my head. Players who have played more than 800 minutes together as a defensive pair at even strength, there's only three. And Mikey Anderson and Drew Doughty are one of them. So I shortened it down to 750. And there's only nine. Um, Anderson and Dowdy are on that list. And other than Pelek and Pulak in New York for the Islanders, the two of them are second overall in Corsi against per 60. And in layman's terms, that's shots against, shot totals against, uh, shot attempts, I should say. So they're great at suppressing shots and goals against um, in that group. They are fifth at 2.06. And that's with some really rough games in the last couple of weeks against Vegas and Colorado. Right. So, and again, that's with Mikey Anderson as a rookie um, playing with a, a perennial Norris contender and Drew Doughty. So for me, that's the big positive is that number one pair. And I think you're hundred percent correct about Kopitar. Um, Jack, we are going to be covering the rain. We're going to be covering the Seattle expansion draft. There's going to be tons of coverage moving forward. So nobody go anywhere. It was good talking to you as always. Thanks for having me.
And uh, as I said on Twitter, I'm not thanking the fans yet because as far as I'm concerned, the season isn't over yet. Um, it'll be over when Ontario is done. And then, of course, we have the offseason. So thanks to come. But for now, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.